record and date your idea, plus materials that explain how to try to submit your idea to companies. I went out walking through streets paved with gold, lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show on any of the avenues now, we're on DISH, we're on Direct Channel 20, we're on Cable Channel 20, we're broadcast, I don't even know if they have broadcast anymore, uh, we're, if anybody can't watch it through the normal means, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it streaming video from anywhere in the world. The streaming has greatly improved. You can watch it from what I understand with the same clarity you can through your television sets. So we invite you to do that. I Was a Born Again Mormon, kind of the book that got this thing sort of going, is available through PDF download at www.hotm.tv. Check it out. And uh, what's coming up? Tell me. Think about it. What is coming up? <laughs> <laughs> the audience. <laughs> that, was, that was fervent. The audience just cheered it. <laughs> yes, uh, Burning Heart 09, the Big Tent Revival, live bands including Adams Road from Florida, a bunch of returned LDS missionaries who all found Jesus, Jeremiah's Fire, local band that will be leading everybody and worshiping the Lord. Box lunches from Subway will be available along with cotton candy, popcorn, all kinds of Great things for your body, inflated things for the kids, booths for the adults. Uh, and then we're going to head inside a giant tent uh, and uh, have the worship. And then we're going to hear a message of salvation. And following that, there will be baptisms. I received a few emails from people saying, will we be doing baptisms there like we did last year? We will for people who want to publicly profess their faith, trust, love, hope in Jesus Christ. So Saturday, September 5th, 2009, Sugar House Park from 5 to 8 p.m. Uh, everybody invited, uh, come and join us on that date. We hope you do. Two weeks ago, we ended a program two weeks ago with a last minute call from an LDS man from Brigham City. He made two statements that I want to address tonight. These statements, uh, if you don't think about them, they sort of seem to make sense and they're often used by the LDS. Um, upon examination, though, they're, they're quite ludicrous. Um, first, he, he said something to the effect of, I've been watching your show and hearing you talk about uh, blacks in the priesthood and polygamy and blood atonement and Mountain Meadows Massacre. And he said, I think you need to look at the big picture. The big picture is what he said. 
The inference being that we are focusing on issues that are no longer pertinent to the Mormon faith and uh, we need to present a wider view. Now think about this. If anyone is looking at the big picture, it is those people who are willing to examine Mormonism and all that it has been, all that it continues to be, um, that is the big picture. There are millions of people in Mormonism today who selectively examine it through their own needs. I need my family to be happy. So they look just at things that the church says about families. I want to know about the Book of Mormon. I believe it's true. So they only read the things that support the Book of Mormon. The caller, well, they will say, we are Christian. Look, our name, the name Jesus Christ is in uh, the name of our church as though that would make them Christian. The caller that called two weeks ago, he even said, I named my son Christian. That shows that I'm a Christian. I mean, where does this stuff come from? Um, this is not big picture stuff. Um, it, it's not looking at the big picture. The truly big picture is to look at all of it. You want to examine doctrine front to back to see how it compares to the Bible. That's big picture. You want to examine the practices, past, present, and future of Mormonism and how they have contributed to the LDS beliefs and practices today. You want to be able to openly and freely admit that you have discovered things that are disturbing, false, even evil. That's big picture thinking. If you are afraid to do that, that is narrow-minded picture. Uh, so the second statement the caller made was um, two weeks ago was very Mormonicious, and he slipped this in, and he said, if you want to know about, about Mormonism, you go to Mormons. If you, and and this, is, this is Mormonicious logic, and they, we use it on our missions all the time. Uh, if you want to know about a Ford, Mr. Jones, would you go to the Chevy dealership? No. Mr. Jones, you go straight to the Ford dealership, and they'll teach you all about the Ford. That's what we would tell Mr. Jones, you know. And when it comes to getting to the bottom line truth of a multi-billion dollar corporation, religious corporation. It's the most ridiculous logic I've ever heard of in my life. It's kind of like saying, if you want to know the truth about Watergate, go to Richard Nixon. Uh, that you're, He's going to tell you. He's at the top. He'll be honest. Or if you want to know the truth about that major fast food chain who's feeding our children monkey meat, well, go to the corporate executives or go to the people who feed their children that meat every day and love it because it makes them feel happy. They'll tell you the truth about it. You don't need to go and do any, any investigative reporting. Isn't that insipid logic? Mormons want you to join Mormonism. Uh, they believe it is a way of happiness, and in some ways it is. They believe that it is the truth, the only true truth, truth and in no way is it. Uh, but they, they, they really want people to join them. It's almost like a commiseration of sorts. And these are the true believers. True believers will say almost anything to get people to join. They will avoid the tough questions and they will focus on the positive. It's sales. Pure and simple sales. Uh, obscure the bad, push out constantly the good. So you want to know the truth about Mormonism? I suggest you take the 60 minutes approach. Go and speak to a Mormon. Find the smartest Mormon you can find. 
and take their, your toughest questions to them and listen to what they have to say about Mormonism. Listen closely, take notes, record it if they'll let you, and just examine what they have to say. Then go to somebody who has been or is a scholar about Mormonism, okay? Not somebody who's bitter or angry uh, against them, but someone who really knows their stuff. Sandra Tanner, uh, Bill McKeever, uh, Aaron Shefavalov, I think that's how you say his name, or uh, 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 James White. These people know their stuff. And then uh, ask them the same questions. Now, the interesting thing is where the LDS will back up their claims with clean corporate imagery and true believers will deliver their message with tears, you know, just, just so, so heartfelt. It will all be this emotional attachment. Uh, those who know and have left Mormonism will support it through evidence. They will give you what the history has been. They'll tell you what the doctrines have been. They'll tell you what the practices and doctrines are today. They know, and they don't have anything to hide. Let me ask you something. What benefit do these ministries have if somebody in Brazil, for instance, our ministry, we get, we get emails now from all over the world, literally, and people will say, hey, I found out about Mormonism through you guys. Thank you so much. I was able to dodge the missionaries almost pulling me in or I've, I've left. But what benefit does it do us for some couple in Brazil to learn about Mormonism through a YouTube video and they come to know the Lord and they go on and they live Christian lives? They're not going to send us money. They're thankful that we got that out there, but they have a relationship with the Lord. We have no vested interest but to see people come to the truth of the living God and to be free from the bondage of religious institutions, multi-million dollar conglomerate worldwide religious institutions headed by a man who calls himself the prophet. Okay, uh, our topic for the next two weeks is we are going to actually read Doctrine and Covenants 132. That is the revelation that Joseph Smith received in the last year of his life about polygamy. Um, but before we introduce this to you tonight, I must give some attention to our guest last week, the man in white. Uh, this is probably going to surprise some of you. In our ministry, we usually can tell when we're on the right track, when people from both sides of the fence, the Christian side and the LDS side, freak out. Now, when we introduced Born Again Mormon, the freak onometer was going nuts. That's impossible. So both sides freaked out on that one. When my hair began to get a little scraggly, we had both sides, particularly the Baptists, and, and, and then the Mormons mocking me, the Baptists chiding me, because that, so I knew, I'm probably onto something by keeping them all freaking out. And with the man in white, the emails hit a new freak show level. They went nuts. I mean, it's been really interesting. The accusations have come in from all sides against me, against the man in white, against, I mean, from angry to mean to uh, condemnatory to uh, abusive. People are assigning motives to me that are just not there. Um, they are attacking our guest with guns ablazing. Um, and I've got to tell you, they've tell me, the Christians are telling me I've sunk to a new low and that uh, this has been uh, set our ministry back a generation. So 
Before we have the prayer tonight, let me talk about the man in white. First of all, he is a real person. Uh, he represented himself and his vision. We did not hire him. We didn't prompt him. We didn't pay him. We didn't tell him what to say. To answer many of the emails, he was not a scripted actor who stole or borrowed some LDS temple clothes and came on the show to make the LDS look bad. The man in white stands out on the street next to the LDS temple, sometimes all day, doing what he believes God has told him to do. This leads me to a second point. The man in white says he believes God has called him to do this thing. Now, those people who know, have known him personally throughout his life have called me or emailed me, uh, some with attorneys, and they say that he is false, that he is sick and deluded, and that he is even crazy. And they say they've known this for, since they've known him. Some Christians are saying that what he is doing is evidence of how bad the idea is of receiving personal revelation, which is very big within Mormonism. I see both points, and I agree that there, are, there is some truth to both of those points. But this is not why we had or invited the man in white on the program. We did not invite him to exploit his apparent delusions or to show the LDS how off or misleading their belief in personal revelation can be. Let me explain our perspective relative to these two accusations. We live in an age when almost everything different or odd can be summed up as a mental illness. We call this progress in science and in medicine. The manual for diagnosing these illnesses, the DSM, has grown 25 years ago from being a little thin manual, DSM-1, to being a multi-volume manual this thick of all the things that are wrong with us and the medicines that will help cure the, the, the freakiness of our actions. Our view is that because someone does different things, strange things, very odd, even peculiar things, does not mean they are sick. Um, in our opinion, all people, including all of you watching, in this fallen world, suffer for some, from some kind of mental disease. Amen. Okay? And so, we thank God. Thank you for that amen. We thank God for that Vincent Van Gogh, for instance, didn't live in this age. And if he did, they would have put him on some drug and stuck him behind a corporate desk. And we never would have Starry Starry Night or Sunflowers. Uh, what would they have done with Descartes who slept 18 hours of his life away only to come up with Cartesian philosophy, which was ingenious in, uh, in the way he worked. Or the French artist Seraphim, a, a woman who per came out with this beautiful art who they thought was a village idiot. Or Edith Piaf, or John the Baptist, or like we said, Jeremiah, or Isaiah, or Jesus. You know, what kind of medicine and how delusional did they say he was? They claimed he was as well. We truly embrace the idea that God is sovereign and he is in charge of all things. And I personally stand by the belief that God is using the man in white, whether you can prove him delusional by today's standards or not. 
Our ministry is to reach out to any and all who have crumbled in whatever way it has happened under the weight of Mormonism. I believe the man is white in white is one of these people. He crumbled and instead of falling to the gutter, he fell to earthly exaltation. Now, at the same time, Christians who criticize the LDS notion of receiving personal revelation, these often love and support people who do some very odd things, so long as these odd things are done in the name of the Christian cause. Many Christians are more than ready to applaud apparent zealots who bear giant wooden crosses and stumble around abortion clinics in the name of Jesus because God told them to. Christians use the term, I was led to do this, or that, or that God has placed this on my heart. And I want you to know, these terms are synonymous with the Mormon people receiving personal revelation for their own lives. Christians are big on saying that personal revelation must be in line with the Bible. But how many Christians do things in their lives that do not have biblical veracity, and yet they believe they were led by God to do them? Plenty. So knock it off. When it comes to doctrine or knowing truth, trust me, we stand by biblical authority and substantiating doctrine and biblical truth with, um, with the Bible. But in the day-to-day -day nuance of life, Christians believe in personal revelation as much as the LDS, perhaps even more, and they will take action that is outside the pale of, of biblical edict to do them. We wanted the man in white to come on the air for the following reasons, believe them or not. First, we believe God has and will continue to use him to get people to think, to examine and investigate their own hearts. To the non-LDS, the man in white is an outward picture of how the LDS want to be. Clothed in holy white robes, shining, white face, whited sepulchers above the rest. And yet that image is very unsettling and gives non-LDS a perfect image of what Mormonism pushes their people to be. Gods in, on earth. To the LDS, the man in white is but a mere reflection of who they are. He is them. His idea and his ideals are theirs. He only took them to a celestialized extreme. It's interesting that the one LDS caller who called into the show was not offended by the man in white saying he wanted to become equal to or better than Jesus Christ. The LDS caller was offended by him wearing the sacred robes. This is religion. This is Religion over a relationship with Christ. The man said he wanted to be better than Jesus Christ, and she was offended that he was wearing their sacred robes in public. I can't believe it. But it's understandable. Let me tell you why. If the LDS have Jesus as an elder brother, not as a savior, God, and king, but as their elder brother, and Joseph Smith claimed that he had more to boast of in his life than Jesus Christ himself, and the Mormons' idea that they will too become gods, then what the man in white claimed is absolutely normal and normative. That is Mormonism right in front of you. Another reason we invited the man in white on the show was for shock. In the Christian Bale Bab, uh, Batman movie, Batman Begins, he said, Batman says, people need dramatic examples to shake them into, from their apathy. 
And we believe that at times with the show. We are certain that somewhere in the YouTube audience, somebody is going to be seriously thinking about becoming a Latter-day Saint. And they're going to come to that YouTube and see a picture of me sitting next to man in white and watch that and think, what the heck is that all about? We believe it will be used. Finally, we had a faithful viewer write and say that he believes that this was the greatest backward step in our ministry. I wrote him back and told him, I believe that that program will do more in the end than possibly any program we have done. So let's step back and watch and see what my God and my King will do with our meager efforts. With that, let's have a prayer. And by the way, the mic clock is not on. Lord, uh, need you and love you. Pray for the message, though it's going to be short. Pray for our callers, our audience, wherever they may be, that you will reach in with your spirit and you will change hearts, change minds, and change lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mormonism lays claim not just to the Bible as the word of God, but also to four other books, three other books of scripture, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and the Book of Mormon. They also lay claim to prophets receiving current modern day revelation. In the Doctrine and Covenants, there are a number of sections. It's broken up into sections. And one of the last to be delivered, according to Joseph Smith, from God to his ear was a section called Section 132. Section 132 is interesting on a number of accounts. We're only going to be able to get through the first four or five verses today. We have done a lot of talking over it in the years because it, it contains the primary impetus, doctrinal impetus, for the practice of plural marriage. Now, and again, we have members of the church who have even called the show and say, Doctrine and Covenants 132 has nothing to do with plural marriage. They'll make that claim today. And it's ridiculous. All you got to do is open it up and read it. Of course, Salt Lake City Mormonism today claims to have nothing to do with plural marriage. We have nothing to do with it, okay? We're going to spend the next few weeks on Doctrine and Covenants 132 and show, and then I hopefully you will ask yourself, if you're LDS, why is that section still in their doctrine? Why haven't they renounced that? And I think you'll discover that they can't renounce it because if they do, the house of cards starts falling. They get rid of one of Joseph Smith's revelations, they're going to have to start getting rid of a lot more. And so they won't get rid of any of them. Section 132 contains 66 verses and has been called by one LDS commentator, one of the greatest doctrinal revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants. In 1831, this was just right at the beginning of Joseph Smith reorganizing or saying he reorganized the church. Joseph Smith was involved in retranslating the Holy Bible. Okay, this is the setting. And he retranslated it by virtue of just thoughts that he said God. He would read in the beginning God and he would say in the beginning God had a party. He just had revelation come to him and he would change the Bible. So he was in the process of retranslating the Holy Bible by virtue of just revelation coming to him. Okay, Sidney Rigdon, a, a noted LDS person in history, was his scribe. When he began to read in the Bible about the Lord's favor for his prophets, especially in the Old Testament, he was perplexed that many of them also practiced polygamy. Now, I know you probably know this, but just to let you know, polygamy is when a man has more than one wife. Polyandry is when a woman has more than one husband. And polygamy is the general title for all of it. 
okay? But I'm just going to call it polygamy for, for uh, ease, say, because that's how most people think. Polygamy, man with many more than one wives. But that's really called polygamy. Okay, section 1 of verse 132 lays out why Joseph received the revelation in the first place. Let me read this to you. This is from God to Joseph's mouth to the paper, all right? Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as you have inquired of my hand to know and understand wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of having many wives and concubines, behold and lo, I am the Lord thy God and will answer thee touching this matter. Right there. Okay, we have the setting for Doctrine and Covenants 132. Joseph wanted to know, how did these prophets get to have extra wives? And the Lord said, Joseph, here is the revelation as to why that, that got to occur. Now, the date of the publication of this Revelation 132 was in July of 1843. This was 12 years later than when the church believes Joseph Smith actually had the revelation in the first place. Okay, most scholars and LDS researchers agree on this because they have evidence that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy as early as the early 18, uh, 1831, 1832, 1833. Now, verse 52 is very important in section 132 because it reveals that here in 1843, Joseph already had a number of wives because he has the Lord tell Emma. Listen, you ready? And let my handmaiden Emma Smith receive all those who have been given unto my servant Joseph and who are virtuous and pure before me. Do you understand what this is saying? Verse 54, did I say 54? Verse 52 of this section, God tells Emma, listen, uh, Emma, I want you to receive all these wives that Joseph has accumulated and those who are, he's going to continue to accumulate who are virtuous and pure before him. Regarding the revelation of Doctrine and Covenants 132, Joseph Smith's personal and private male scribe, William Clayton, said this is how it happened. On the morning of July 12th, Joseph and Hiram came into the office in the upper brick story of the bank, on the banks of the Mississippi River. Uh, upper brick store. They were talking on the subject of plural marriage. Joseph, Hiram said to Joseph, quote, if you will write the revelation on celestial marriage, I will take it and read it to Emma. And I believe I can convince her of its truth and you will hereafter have peace. Joseph remarked and smiled, you do not know Emma as well as I do. Hiram persisted and Joseph agreed to write the revelation and have Hiram deliver it to Emma, his wife, saying, I will write it and we shall see, end quote. Hiram urgently requested that Joseph use the Urim and Thummim, the seer stone, to receive this revelation. But, uh, and just remember, 
Hiram was telling Joseph, use the seer stone, get this revelation through the seer stone. This was one year before Joseph was killed. So he had been using these seer stones, these peep stones throughout his tenure as the leader and organizer of Mormonism back then. Joseph declined telling Hiram that he, had knew, he knew the revelation perfectly from beginning to end. To me, that's saying he'd memorized it. The revelation was given and recorded to William Clayton. Then Hiram took it and read it to Emma, only to return saying, quote, he had never received a more severe talking to in his life, that Emma was very bitter and full of anger and resentment. Sounds like my wife. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Joseph quietly remarked, I told you you did not know Emma as well as I did. Then Joseph took the revelation, put it in his pocket. They went out into the town and they showed it to a bunch of different people. And then uh, William Clayton said that Joseph came up to him later and said, you know, Emma is annoying me so much about this and wants this revelation destroyed so badly that I told her I destroyed it just so she'll get off my back. But know full well we can replicate it at any time. I want to leave you with, before we go to the phones tonight, one thought. It's based on verse 3, 4, 5, and 6 of this revelation. Remember, Emma rejected the revelation. That Mormonism today rejects the revelation, at least publicly renounces it. Now listen to what J Joseph has the Lord in section 132 say. It is serious business, unless, of course, God says things and doesn't mean them. All right? Verse 3, God says through Joseph, prepare your heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give you. For all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. God, in the introduction of this uh, Doctrine and Covenants 132, according to Joseph, says, if someone reads this revelation, they are subject to obey this law. They have to. It's still in the LDS Doctrine and Covenants, which the missionaries carry around as scripture. Why don't the LDS church today openly practice polygamy? Does it include Emma? Yes. Did it, does it include the LDS church today? Yes. For behold, God says in verse 4, I reveal unto you a new and everlasting covenant, and if you abide not that covenant, then you are damned. For no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. This is in their scripture today. You have to obey it or you cannot enter into my glory. This is the reason why there are so many good people down south, all around Canada, Mexico, practicing polygamy still, believing that Joseph Smith gave the word, they read this word, they take it seriously, and they take on extra wives. The LDS church in Salt Lake City cannot justify their non-practice of polygamy. Now, I'm not for polygamy, and I know it's wrong, and I know this, this revelation's a lie. But if we're going to be, uh, 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 what? Per, what? If we're going to be consistent, if we're going to be consistent, they should be practicing this. They, but yet they deny it. They distance themselves. What does that tell you? They're deceivers. They're liars. They'll say whatever is necessary in order to get their way. Someday, if the law allows polygamy back, you will see them re-embrace it. I can assure you they will re-embrace it and it will be introduced in a more modern world that can accept a man having more than one wife. Uh, 
Verse 5 continues, For all who will have a blessing at my hand shall abide the law, which was appointed for that blessing and the conditions thereof, as were instituted before the foundations of the world. This says this is a, an eternal principle that has to be obeyed. And then in verse 6, God tells us through Joseph Smith why this covenant was introduced in the first place. And as pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory. And he that receiveth a fullness thereof must and shall abide the law or he shall be damned, thus saith the Lord. I, we're going to go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. LDS callers, first-time callers, keep your uh, questions short. Turn down your TVs. Listen to a couple quotes really quickly. We won't quit practicing plural marriage until Christ shall come. Wilford Woodruff, May 18, Manti Temple. We cannot withdraw or renounce polygamy. God has revealed it, and he has promised to maintain it and to bless those who obey it. That was in the Millennial Star. The principle of plurality of wives will never be done away. Heber C. Kimball. The only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, 11, 268. You might as well deny Mormonism and turn away from it as oppose the plurality of wives. Let the presidency of this church and the 12 apostles and all the authorities unite and say with one voice that they will oppose that doctrine and the whole of them would be damned. Heber C. Kimball, Journal of Discourses, 5203, and it goes on and on and on. So then you got to ask yourself, these people who practiced it then, now, now they have grandchildren and they look back and they say, my, my, they were faithful. How come we're not practicing it now? It's, 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 a, it's a constant manipulation of your lives, of your money, of your time, of your mind, of your heart. And there's freedom in Christ that's waiting for you outside of this man-made manipulation. We're going to go to a break really quickly uh, and about our heart, uh, partners program and we'll come back and uh, take your calls. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Aletheia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us, 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. Okay. We're back. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll join us at Burning Heart, Saturday, September 5th, Sugar House Park, 5 to 8 p.m. Invite your friends, your family, other church members. It's a great time. We're going to go to Zach and Sandy, first-time caller. Zach, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm great. Excellent. Hey, I have a question. Sorry, it's kind of off topic of your show today, but um, when Jesus is praying to God, is he praying to himself? And why does he call him Father if, if, they, if Jesus and God are the same person? Yeah. But I'm going to hang up and let you answer that. Okay. All right? Good question. All right, thanks. Okay, Zach. 
That question is answer, asked a lot. In fact, it's asked by many Christians. And, and it's important to remember that, can we do a zoom in here? Can we do a zoom in on something? Boy, we're just being wild and woolly tonight. This is in the back of my Bible. Someone gave me this. Let me drop it down here. You see how it says heavenly three in one? Now you see over here it says the Father is not the Son. The Holy Ghost is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Ghost. But yet the triune God of Jehovah. You see that in the center? You have the Father as one part. You have the Son as another part. You have the Holy Spirit as another part. Together they make God. Okay? They are the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But they are not three separate and distinct polytheistic gods. They are one God as indicated by the God in the center of that. Now let me explain something about your question. And that is this. The son came from a pre-mortal existence which he had with the father. And he says he's the only one who came from that existence. And he came down and he took upon a tabernacle of flesh. And he became incarnate. He became a man. And he was 100% man. And he did this and he took upon himself the sins of the world. And in this place, he was subject to all the things that we are subject to in the flesh. Okay? And so when he prayed, he prayed to the Father. The Father is part of God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit. And when he's in the flesh, he prayed to his Father to give him strength and to help him with this this tabernacle of flesh. Yes, he was perfect. And that's how he's able to overcome himself completely. Nevertheless, the reason he was able to overcome himself completely was he subjected his flesh, the will in his flesh, to his Father who remained spirit perfect and in heaven. I hope that makes sense to you. It's a question the LDS asked quite a bit. We're going to Pete in Layton. Pete, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Uh, love your show. Really love your show. Thanks, Pete. Uh, quick question for you. Yeah. Uh, I watched several of your shows, and through my own observations and impressions of, uh, of Mormons in watching your shows, uh, I get the impression that Mormons actually shun the symbol of the cross. Yeah. Um, and I guess last week, or was it the week before, the man in white, you, you summoned a cross from Ogden? Yeah. Did he accept that? Did he... Uh, yeah. He embraced that, or was he? Did he was he noncommittal, or what? I'm no, he embraced. Answer. Yeah, he embraced it, Pete, and that was really interesting. In fact, that threw a lot of people, and I didn't really explain that very well. But uh, when Sean, not me, but another Sean, talked to him the day before, they started talking about Sean's cross, and the man in white said, "Well, I, I would wear that." And Sean said to him, "Well, Mormons don't wear the cross." And the man in white said, "I don't care what they believe. I like the cross. I want to wear a cross." So okay. th that's how it came about. And he not only wears that one, he now wears a big one. <laughs> of course. Thanks, Sean. I'm going to listen to your show. All right, Pete. Thanks. Yeah. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Kevin in Florida, first-time caller. Kevin, you're on Heart of the Matter. I'm on, though. You're on the air, man. Actually, it's Kevin. Yeah. Oh, is, it's what? It's actually Kevin. Okay, Kevin, you're on the air. Uh, I have two things I want to say. One, um, there's uh, this verse called Second uh, Peter chapter 1. 20 and 21 says, uh, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy man of God spake, who is spoke by the Holy Ghost. Okay. 
And uh, another thing I want to, uh, one more I want to give is that I remember I, I watched one of your shows one time, and it said, um, I guess they believe that they can uh, receive uh, a revelation by dreams or something, or that that's, like, accurate. Yeah. But um, in the, I guess you call it the Apocryphal or whatever, there's a book uh, called Zyrak, and in the book uh, Zyrak, in Chapter 34, 1 and 2, it says... Uh, it says, empty and false are the hopes of the senseless, and fools are born aloft by dreams. Like a man who catches at shadows or chases the wind is one who believes in dreams. Wow. So, you know. Well, I like that because it supports what we say about the, the influence of dreams. But the problem is, one, you pulled from apocryphal books. Is it from Esdras? Is that what you're it's saying? It's called Zyrak, S-I-R-A-C-H. I don't even have that as one of the apocrypha. It is. I mean, I understand what it is. It's just that, um, but I understand what you're saying. But um, I just think that uh, we are. See, I, I understand Martin Luther, why he did what he did, because at the time the church was doing some stuff that wasn't right. Yeah. But today, uh, you know, if you throw away all this knowledge and people are coming up, but oh, yeah, you can use dreams as uh, interpretations, or you can do this and do that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, sure. It's but very I, dangerous. I, I really love your show, and uh, you really helped me out a lot. I mean, I was in a time of great loss and, and you really helped me and I just want to say that you, you have a great show and you're, I think you're helping a lot of people. Praise God, Pete. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Thanks for calling. We're going to Sarah and Sandy on line two. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Uh, 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 I called before um, and I was just uh, calling to make a statement. Okay. And uh, I called, tried to call last week to make it to, you know, to talk to Nick, but I couldn't get through. Okay. Um, and my statement was that, um, since, you know how he's trying to get higher than Jesus, so he could be higher than Jesus in heaven? Yeah. Um, I thought that, you know, uh, Lucifer tried that when he was an angel oh. to get higher than God, but he's, he ended up where he's going to hell. Yeah. So. Very, very good point, Sarah. You're, uh, you're a Christian girl? Yes. How old are you? I'm 13. How's life out there in Sandy as a 13-year-old Christian girl? Um, I like it. I like to uh, share the gospel with all my non-Christian friends. Praise God. What, what church do you go to? I go to City Church. The what church? City Church. City Church. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Well, uh, you watch the show very often? Yeah, I watch it every week. Well, Sarah, that is adorable. Uh, you know what? If you stay on the line, uh, Kevin wants to send you a T-shirt. Would you like one? Sure. It might get you in trouble at school, but we'd love you to, to wear it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Sarah. Thank you so much. Hold on one second, okay? Okay. Okay. We're going to pick up line uh, two. We got Laura in Ogden. She's LDS. Laura, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. I just, um, I'm curious. I've been watching your show. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered what happened in your past that made you turn so against the LDS Church. Um, if you don't, if you don't mind sharing it, I mean, not at all, not at all. I don't mind sharing it at all, Laura. Um, let me just give you a quick synopsis. And this is probably good to do every now and then. People who watch the show know it, but people who don't. Um, I was born and raised LDS. I was a little bit wild as a teen, but I know that's hard to tell by looking at me. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, got my life straightened up, as it were, and I went on a mission, and I served a faithful mission. I was an assistant to the president, a, a, a man I love dearly still, 
uh, for six months of my mission. I uh, came back and got engaged to a girl, married in the Salt Lake Temple. And I began to then wonder, reflect back on teachings and doctrines, and I began to investigate. At the same time, I was put in positions, elders quorum president, bishopric, early morning seminary teacher, stake high council, the whole thing. I played the game, and the whole time I kept getting bumped up, and people would give me praise and appreciation for what a, a great man I was, I knew inwardly that I really was, I'm going to say a word, and it's in the Bible, I was a bastard, okay? I was not a good man. I was a very bad man in my heart at least at that point, okay? Okay. So then I started to delve into church history, I, and, then, and then everything started to crumble around me, and then I became involved completely in the world. But as long as I maintained my outward appearance and looked good and said the right things, I was, I was still given the heaps and praises, even though I knew now I certainly, through my actions, was a bad man. Came down that in 1997, I had a roadside experience that changed my perspective for good. And I realized who I was relative to who God is. He is holy and perfect, righteousness and eternal, and I was a sinner, and there was nothing. I had tried uh, very hard to get my life in order through the mission and all the other services, but I never was able to do it until he stepped in and showed me I couldn't do it. And then my faith led me to be a better guy. And this is the radical thing that happened. As my life then started to uh, become better and I started to get control of all the things that I had lost control of as a member, the members turned on me because I was talking about Jesus. And so I thought, man, there's something wrong. I asked to be excommunicated. I asked for a number of reasons. One, I deserved it. But my heart, you might not agree with this, but my heart is to reach out to those people who are still in the church and let them know there is freedom in Christ. Now, one more thing, and then I'll let you ask another question or talk. We have okay. always been to those people who cannot maintain this outward appearance of Mormonism. They like their coffee, their cigarettes, they're living with their lover, whatever it is, and so they fall away and they give God the push and say, we don't even believe in him. We are for those people. If there are LDS who believe in it and faithful and they want to go after it with all, have at it. I just say, you go and present to God your life and works. I'll go and present my faith in Christ. Okay, any questions? No, it's just very familiar. I feel the same way in a lot of aspects. Okay. I Great. did the same thing for years, well, probably 47 years uh -huh. of my life. Uh -huh. And um, I still believe I just have a hard time with the people and the way that they each individual interprets the law to themselves. Yeah, they do. Can we send you our book? Yeah, I oh. wouldn't mind reading it. Okay, stay on the line, and someone will take your address. We'll drop one in the mail, and tell me what you think. Call us back or email me. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. God bless you. Appreciate it. Okay, hold on. I don't know who, what line that is. I'm sorry. We're going to Jamie uh, FLDS in Cedar City. I'm scared. Jamie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Oh, oh. Go ahead, Jamie. Well, um, so I'm FLDS, and um, I just, 
I wanted to say that we're better Mormons than the Mormons are. You I are. I don't get a bad rap. Everybody says, oh, those crazy people down south. Yeah. But we didn't change our garments when Brigham Young said they're not to be changed or altered to match today's fashions. Yep. We still consecrate all of our possessions to our church. Yep. And, and we practice everything that Joseph Smith said that we needed to practice and every single thing he said that we need to do to be God and to live with God, and we do all of it. And all those other mainstream Mormons that look down their nose at us, but we're better Mormons than they are every day. Jamie. What? I agree. I completely agree. You follow the teachings. When Joseph Smith said it's an eternal law, you better keep it or you're damned, you guys follow it. So in terms of dedication, you know, you're right. And these guys are a corporate empire of deceptive men. So I am, on, as far as continuity's sake or consistency, I'm on your side. However, you got to be kidding, man. Uh, what are you doing? Are you practicing plural marriage? Uh, I will be at the end of this month. Jamie, Jamie, please. Jamie, please, um, just think about this for a minute. Just for a minute, okay? When God created Adam and Eve, it wasn't Adam and Eve and Jane. The way God set it up from the beginning was one man, and I tell you right now, I bet you are woman enough for one man, and one man is man enough for you. That's all you need. I don't know how long you've lived. Well, go ahead. What about the other prophets that did have other wives? Never in the history of the Bible does God sanction polygamy, ever. It was always the men or the women, the fleshly men and women who came up with the idea, look, uh, Sarah said, Abraham, I'm not getting pregnant. We got to populate the world, take Hagar, my, and they went, and guess what happened? Misery. Every time polygamy was involved, misery occurred. You're too smart to get involved in misery. There's, marriage is great, but you don't need to go down this road. Next month, so what are you marrying? A man who has more than one wife? I'll be a third. Oh, man. Have you ever watched Thursday Nights with Doris Hansen? Yeah, I know Doris. Well, don't you think she has some, some things to say that could reach you? Well, Doris left, so she's just angry. Well, let me ask you something, uh, Jamie. What is the benefit and what does God want from you going in and being the third wife of, a, of another man? What is he trying to do for you and your life that you need to do this? I will have the benefit of having eternal life. I will have the benefit of being a heavenly mother. I will have the benefit of uh, reaping the blessings that our prophet Joseph Smith promised to us. Okay. And... Have you ever been able to study what I just gave you uh, some examples about polygamy in the Bible? Have you ever been able to see it in that way? Or do you just believe them when they say the Old Testament prophets practiced it, therefore it's true? Well, I know that Abraham was very blessed by God. He was blessed. And, and even his son from Hagar went and became a prince in the Middle East. And actually, that's where Muslims have spawned from, and that whole religion came from Hagar's son. And it's brought a lot of peace to the world, hasn't it? Oh, loads. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't Hagar, she was out there in the dust, you know, when Sariah sent her away, 
and was jealous of the whole thing. She was out in the dust just living it up, wasn't she? No, she was about ready to die. And God, who loves all of us and blesses all of us, irrespective of our sin, he will bless us. He promised Abraham a blessing. It wasn't predicated on Abraham's righteousness. It was predicated on Abraham's faith. And, and he was a man of faith. So he was blessed by God because God made a promise and covenant to him, irrespective of the uh, pr uh, mistakes he made. But God has a, a permissive will and God has an expressed will. His expressed will is in the garden. One man, one woman, cleaving to each other, and that's his expressed will. Permissive will is, you guys want to dabble in polygamy? Go ahead. But it is going to bring you personal misery. This is not how it was from the beginning. Jamie, flee that place. Come up to Salt Lake City, and if you need housing or something, there are people who can help you. Get out of it. And if, just, just do yourself a favor. Take a six-month sabbatical, and if they won't let you do it, that tells you something's wrong. Take a six-month getaway. Don't go wild. We don't need uh, you going crazy. Just come up and study and just hear another perspective before you decide to go and join that thing. Will you do it? I will consider it. We'll come down and pick you up. You will, huh? Yes. <laughs> we will. And no one will propose to you on the way who's married. Okay. Jamie, you, my email, sean at aletheamedia.com. I don't know if you have an email or not. If not, call the station. You have the number. You say the date. We will get someone down there to pick you up and give you safekeeping until you can think this through. And then after you've given it six months, you still want to do it, we'll go back and, and have at it. But give us a chance to give you another side. Can I ask you a question, Sean? Sure. I understand that the mainstream Mormons still practice polygamy in the temple. Yeah. So if it's so wrong and they're so against it now, how come it's still allowed in the temple? And how come they snub their nose at us? It's a great question. They, they're duplicitous, and you're, you're right. They practice it because they believe it. Every man in the hierarchy in, the, in mainstream Mormonism believes it, they look for it, just like the Islam Muslims believe in 70 virgins if they die for the cause. Mormon faithful men believe they're going to have an extra one or two or three wives, and so they spiritually practice it, and you're right, it is a contradiction. And they are picking on you because you are living exactly what Joseph Smith taught. So they know we're better Mormons than they are. Oh, they must. <laughs> hey, uh, please consider it, Jamie, okay? Thank you. Okay, God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Scott in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. You? I am very well, sir. Thank you very much for taking my call. You're welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm searching. I uh, grew up LDS, came from, uh, born in Detroit, Michigan, came from uh, the Michigan area, moved out here in 1964. My, my parents found Mormonism when I was eight years old and subsequently baptized uh, by the age of 13, realized I was uh, standing up at fast and testimony meetings and lying about my beliefs. Okay. And um, so and I've, just, I've been, I guess I'm probably a self-described agnostic at this point in my life. And I, my, the question, and I've, got, I've, I've been writing stuff down. I'll probably call you a couple more times over the weeks ahead. But I, just, I, I, I love your down-to-earth approach. I like what you're, you know, what you're doing. And uh, it's, it's, it's very refreshing, especially in this, in this atmosphere. But my question, I'll get to the point, uh, is I, I'm, I'm a person like Jesus Christ um, who, and, and again, forgive, I'm no scholar. I'm, you know, I okay. haven't 
done this for a long time, but um, why is so much of Christ's life missing from the, from the Bible, from the Dead Sea Scrolls, from scholarship? That's a good question. Scott, <coughs> John tells us that if uh, all the works and things that Jesus did could be recorded, the very books of the world couldn't contain it, okay? When we read Genesis, the first, the, the, the creation takes place in, I think, like 12, 4, 12 verses, something like that. We're talking about the creation of this world takes place in 12 verses. God does not, the Bible is not exhaustive at all. The Bible is merely his word to us and gives us what is sufficient unto salvation, sufficient for you to believe. The Holy Spirit inspired the men who wrote, and, and they obviously it wasn't exhaustive. They cut, the Gospels writers cut things out that each other didn't record. Sure. But it's sufficient for your knowing who he is. And that's the best explanation I have of it. Okay. I have a lot of respect. It doesn't, doesn't work for me, but okay. I still have a tremendous amount of respect for you. I just, it just seems that there would be more available. Uh, such, you know, there's so much history about so many other people. It seems like there's even more about John the Baptist uh, yeah. that, that I know than, than I know about Christ. And it just, just seems that there's so much missing um, uh, of his life. But needless to say, I'll keep searching. I'll keep watching. Hey. I support you. I'm going to send you some money. Let, let's have, let's have, let's get together and talk. I, I like talking to uh, people like you because you've come out, you're, you're saying, hey, I'm agnostic, and you're willing to kind of uh, check things out. I would love to talk with you. So I, email me and let's get together. I will, sir. Okay, thanks, Scott. God bless you. Have a great night. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Uh, we have Doris Hansen here. We're going to take her really quickly. Doris, you've got 49 seconds. Okay. <clears throat> Is she any? Is she any better? Don't you, Doris? You're on the air. Yes. Yes. You're, I'm on the air. You're you're on the air, Doris. Uh, okay, uh, Sean. I'm calling in. This is Doris. I do the Thursday night show. Yes. And I'm calling in regarding Jamie. I would like Jamie to know that yes, I am from polygamy. I was not married into it. My mother was an. Uh, had an awful life, and I want Jamie to know I am not angry. I am so far past that. All I want to do is love and help. Praise God. Hopefully, when she calls us, we'll be able to put you in contact with her, um, Doris, okay? I would love to do that. If, she was, if she's agreeable, I'd love to do that. Thank you. Got, you. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Remember, September 5th, Sugar House Park. Uh, from 5 to 8 p.m., uh, Burning Heart 09, the Big Tent Revival. Invite your family and friends. It's going to be a good time. Where our prayers are with all of you, we pray in the ministry for everyone who is searching, for Scott and for Jamie and for little Sarah out there in, in Sandy who's going to school and, and as a Christian who goes and, and testifies. For our audience members, for all of you who support us in whatever way that the Lord leads you. It's not the, it's not the specific support. It's your heart to pray for us and do whatever it is. So we thank you for it. And uh, we just want to tell you, tune in with us next week. We'll continue to dis, uh, investigate Dr. And Covenants 132. And remember, if the Bible is telling the truth, Mormonism is a lie. Delaney, happy 16th birthday. God bless y'all. See you later. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm going
break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage 